Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. guest for this segment is Harriet Hodgson, and our topic is recovery from loss. Harriet has been an independent journalist for 30 years. She is a member of the Association of Healthcare Journalists and the Association for Death Education and Counseling. She is a bereaved parent and, along with her husband, John, is currently raising twin grandchildren. Her 26th book is titled, Writing to Recover, The Journey from Loss and Grief to a New Life. Welcome to the show, Harriet. Thank you. Hi, Harriet. It's great to talk to you and have you on the show. You know, Harriet, uh, you've sent me your wonderful three of your books uh, of 24 books, Harriet. It's 26. 26. (laughs) That is amazing. Well, we don't have time to cover all those bad books, but you have had quite a journey, I must say, and and my heart goes out to you. It's an amazing journey you've been on. I, I was looking at the information you sent me, and as I understand it, the book you wrote, uh, I was looking at the dates. You wrote a book called Smiling Through Your Tears, Anticipating Gray, uh, Grief. And be, uh, a couple of years after you wrote that book, your daughter was killed in a car crash. Is that the right sequence? That is the right sequence. And Smiling Through Your Tears uh, came from the nine years I spent caring for my mother who had dementia. And that's where the title came from, because she got progressively worse, and I kept smiling. Mm. But inside, of course, I was not smiling. Absolutely. And you have all this wonderful advice for people in here about, you know, if they're, they're having loss and, and, you know, dealing, anticipating grief and all that. And then, wow, two Isn't years later, ironic? your daughter is killed. Yeah, it's so ironic. And in my mind now, I think of 2007 as the year of death because my daughter was killed in a car crash on Friday. Uh, On Sunday, my father-in-law died of pneumonia, Mm -hmm. and their uh, obituaries were on the same page of the newspaper. Eight weeks later, my brother died, and uh, several months after that, my former son-in-law was killed in a separate car crash. And before your son-in-law died, your your daughter and son-in-law were divorced, and before your son-in-law died, he moved into your daughter's house to take care of the twins, right? He did. He did. He he stepped forward, and he said he would do that until they graduated from high school. And so then he was killed death. in a crash. How, how, uh, what year was that? Well, that was in um, 2007, November of 2007. And he died the same year as your daughter? Yeah, I, we had four deaths within nine months. Wow. And, and, and how old were and, the and twins the, at that time? The problem is and was that, uh, you know, we would no sooner be feeling better and then there would be another death in the family. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when the twins' father was killed, we suddenly, you know, we said, you are coming home with us. And actually our daughter had a will appointing us as their guardians uh, it took a while to go through the courts, but I think the hardest thing for me personally was to grieve for four loved ones and try and stay upbeat for teenagers, try mm. and provide a secure life for them, and help them understand that life would eventually get better. Incredible. And how, were, how old are the twins? How old were they when their mom died? And 
They were 15 when she died. They were about 15 and a half when they moved in here. Uh, they are now 17, and we're starting to talk about college. And are they boy or girl or uh, fraternal twins? One of each. So, and our lives have changed. Uh, my husband uh, is a retired physician, uh, but he was working part time. But we had so much paperwork and legal work with court involvements and reports that he finally had to quit to manage all the estates. So he manages the estates, and I manage the household and and uh, child stuff. Boy, that's quite a challenge. Uh, uh, whoa. And my husband was saying to me, I was telling him about you and, and showing him your books and uh, how wonderful they are and talking about what you know, what a journey you you're having, and he said, "How's her husband doing?" He's doing very well, um, and I think you know we are a mutual support system, and we agreed early on the minute our daughter died, we said, "Okay, we're in this together. We are going to cry anytime, anywhere, for as long as necessary." Mm-hmm. And I know one day when he was still working, he he went to work and he came back at the end of the day and he said, "How was your day?" And I said, well, I, I just sobbed the entire day. And he said, good. <laughs> and that is like a pressure valve. And right. It releases pressure. Uh, and so we realized that really our tears were healing. I mean, sometimes we just, you know, sat and, uh, on the couch and, and cried and cried together. But uh, I know we're focusing on healing today. And I want to make a point for anyone who is a bereaved parent, and, and that is, uh, your first step in, in healing and recovery is really to accept the pain. And, you know, if we didn't love someone so much, we wouldn't feel pain. Now, how about um, uh, alcohol or when you say accept the pain, how about alcohol or Valium or antidepressants or, you know, what's your thought on that? I would be very, very cautious about that. Uh, you certainly, uh, alcohol is not going to help you think clearly and uh, recover from the pain. It just uh, is a temporary um, uh, deadener, I guess is the word I would use. I would certainly not take any pills without checking with the physician. And, uh, you know, you're just going to have to face the fact that pain leads to recovery. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, no way around it. I was telling my grandchildren last week, uh, we were talking about faith and religious beliefs, and I said there are two things religion cannot do. One, it does not immunize you against life's problems and challenges. And two, it is not an end run around grief. The only way to get through grief is right smack through the heart of it. And it is tough. It is tough. It is tough. And I found out, and I didn't plan it this way, but I found out finally, you know, with multiple losses, everything is different. Everything is magnified. Everything takes longer. So I grieved for my loved ones in the order that they died. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I grieved the longest over my daughter's death because parents are not supposed to die before their children. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to, to the other death. I mean children are not supposed to die before their parents? Yes, excuse yes, me. Right. You're right. Sorry. That's okay. certainly understandable that you might... Um, Reverse it. Reverse it. Well, well, tell me, what does it mean to grieve in order? Because I know there are people who have had multiple losses. When my son was killed, I actually said to my father, who had had multiple strokes and was in bad shape, I said, 
Dad, you can't die for two years. I can't handle another death. And he died two years later. Wow. So, oh. you know, I, I, and, and I don't know how much I really grieve for him either. You know, I was still, I don't know, I think it would have been a different experience. Do you think it would have been a different experience had not to have had, um, say, your father die if your daughter hadn't died? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I can only speak from my own experience. And each each loss loss is related, but each loss was different. Mm-hmm. And so, with my daughter, I mean, it was sudden. What was her name, by the way? And what did she do for a living? My daughter's name uh, was Helen. Uh-huh. And the real tragedy, the second tragedy of her death, is that she died at a time in life when she was just soaring. I mean, talk about fly like the eagles. And she um, had a, a master's degree. Uh, she was a composite engineer. Uh, she ran three production lines. Um, she, the, one of the last things she did uh, in one of her production lines was to ship generators to Iraq. Mm-hmm. She had been assured that she was headed straight for management because the company had been looking for someone with her training for a long time. And so here she was soaring, and then she died. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, you know, a traumatic death. I mean, the cause of death is was blunt force trauma. And, I mean, you can, the two of you can understand that. Uh, nobody wants to say that their child died from blunt force trauma. Right. I mean, you just, you know, don't even want to think about it or verbalize it. So it took a while to come to terms with that. And now she was in, uh, operated on for 20 hours. Yes, well, wow. we're, you know, we are in the, in the home of Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota, and, um, I mean, when I got the call from the uh, medics, they picked her up by helicopter. When I got the call, I don't know who it was, but he said she's been in an accident and it's really bad. And that that gave me a chance to prepare myself. And so we were there 20 hours, and they would call in specialist after specialist. And finally, the, the last one came in and said, you know, she is brain dead. And uh, it's time to, you know, pull the plug. And that was probably the hardest thing we've ever done. And the children were there. Uh, They were part of that. They went and said goodbye to Mommy. And, you know, they were reeling with shock. Um, Our granddaughter was in the car when her mom was killed. Oh, wow. We had counseling for her, and it helped uh, tremendously. Now, did she have any injuries or... She had a mild concussion, but uh, she was okay. Uh huh. How did the accident happen? How? How did it happen? Uh, well, it was on a snowy evening uh, in Minnesota, and uh, they have, were just coming from a Girl Scout meeting. My daughter was a leader, and uh, ironically, she had been in, in a car crash 20 years previously, and my husband and I came upon it, and he resuscitated her while I directed traffic. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you, can't, you can't make up this story. Mm-mm. What happened is that she broke her neck and, and it fused, but uh, she didn't have full mobility. So the country road came onto the highway at an angle, and she looked, but she didn't see all the way. And so she pulled right out in front of a car. Wow, due to her other neck injury. Huh? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, you know, and, and you know, we dealt with that, and uh, my father's loss, and, I don't want to run out of airtime before I offer a suggestion. I finally decided that I would memorialize these loved ones in some way. 
and I call it action memorials. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down and, and meditated and said, okay, what was something outstanding about each loved one? Uh, with my daughter, it was humor, and she was really witty. She was almost a stand-up comic. And so I thought, you know, I may be grieving, but I can laugh more. It's uh-huh. okay to laugh. With my father-in-law, he was the most honest, ethical person I have ever met. So I thought, I'm going to stand up for honesty. With my brother, he loved reading and books, and I thought, well, I'm a writer, but I'll make time to read more. And with my former son-in-law, he loved nature and fished on the Mississippi River in new inlets, and I thought, I will look at nature even more carefully now. And those decisions have incorporated my loved ones into my life, and so I am linked with them. Every day. Now you've got the, those uh, comments in your book, uh, Writing to Recover, right? Not those comments. Not no, those. I just okay. Just that recently. Just yeah. did that recently. I, I think it's a wonderful idea, don't you, Heidi? I love it. Action, action memorials. Is that what action, they're called? I call it action memorials. And I I've think written an article about that. It's on the internet. Is it on our site? No, it's on uh, www.ezinearticles.com. Great. Because that those are wonderful ideas. I, I, don't, now, what is it that you do for recovery? It's taking action. I know your books on writing to recover, wonderful book, where you tell these stories about Helen, mm-hmm. and also and other, about about your experience, right? And other family members. And I am so glad I did this because many grief experts say you should, you know, write to to cope with whatever challenge you are facing, whether it's a divorce or the loss of a job. And, uh, you know, so that wasn't a new idea. What I had to bring to the idea was multiple losses, uh, life experience. I've been uh, a grandmother and studying uh, grief for many years. And so I sat down and I wrote about some issues that were in my life. Uh, I tell people how to get ready to write. I give them practical and proven writing tips. I talk about personal growth from writing. And at the end, you know, the end result was was writing to recover, a book I never thought I would write. What I also never thought is that I hardly remember 2007. I have just fragmentary memories because the shock was so great and so constant. And so in a way, that book has become a family document. Yeah, and one of the things uh, I think, Harriet, I found, and, and I wonder if you have, is sometimes when you put things down, you don't have to remember them. Yeah, that's you know, because you, you feel like, okay, I've got it there. I don't have to keep bringing it up in my mind. And and then I think, you know, I want to encourage people who try this that you you can't just do it every so often. You have to do it with some regularity. Um, you do not have to be a wonderful writer. You do not have to be a perfect writer. You do not have to know the ins and outs of grammar and spelling. You just have to do it. And I never dreamed either that, you know, when I finished the book, I, I promised myself I'm going to finish this on the anniversary of my daughter's death because I refuse to get stuck in grief. I am going to get stuck in life. I didn't realize that I had to keep writing because society does not understand the 16-month response or the 18-month or the 20-month. And I have had people say to me, well, you're, you're over that now. <laughs> right. And society gives us about one month to 
get over mm-hmm. a loss. Well, it takes far more than a month, and it takes far more time when you have multiple losses. Yeah, well, you not only have to, um, well, you get over them, as they say, but you, you have to integrate them into your life, and integrating it into every little piece of things that you do is a, it's a, a time-consuming thing. I, I like in your book you have setting new goals after a loved one has died, and, and I think that's very powerful. You've got ten goals, and I'm just going to mention a couple before we go to break. Uh, I will be a role model for my grandchildren. I will tell them in... Uh, conscious words, how I will help them. I will keep my promises. I'll continue to write. I'll share my grief experience. I'll learn and grow from grief, and I'll laugh whenever I can. Uh, and I'll celebrate my life with my husband and family. Uh, those goals and putting those down and picking them up and looking at them when you don't feel like getting out of bed could be a pretty powerful thing. Words are empowering. And uh, I'm so glad I made the goals and I acted upon them. I didn't just slap them on paper. I have acted upon everyone. Words are powerful, aren't they? Words are powerful, and and every person who is grieving can write to recover. And actually, the more you write, the more you learn about yourself. But as I found, thank goodness, as the months passed, I could see my own recovery. It was there in the words. Yeah, you can go back and look at where you were and where you are now. Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, for our audience, give them your website and tell, say how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, my website is www.harrietthodgson.com, and you can find information there. Uh, you can hear radio blogs. Uh, you can link right to my e-zine articles about loss and grief. And there are symptoms of anticipatory grief on that site. And also, uh, you can she writes for us, so you can go to the Open to Hope Foundation and, and go to uh, our writers and Harriet's there. And well, Harriet, I want to talk about this. Now, you wrote the book, Writing to Recover, Your Journey from Loss and Grief to a New Life, and, and lots of recommendations for other people. But then a, a, a companion to that is this lovely book, a writing to recover journal and now this is very special for you people out there because it's something I feel, I feel like it's a gift from you to our audience Harriet because talk about what it is I sat down you know and I realized that I had to continue writing and and here I am a professional writer and I lost a little bit of steam <laughs> and then I thought well this is going to happen to anybody but you know, uh, recovery and reconciliation are hidden in your words, and that's why you have to keep working. So I wrote one-sentence affirmations, a hundred of them, that are in this journal, and the whole goal is to keep you writing. And you leave the space for me to write. Exactly. Under so your comment. So the first one says, writing my way through grief will help me find my way through grief, and then I've got the whole wonderful page to comment on that or to say where I am, or whatever I want to say. Mm-hmm, exactly. And at the end, um, and, and this was not my choice, the, the book designer finally took one of these uh, affirmations, actually, and uh, it says, life is a miracle, I'm so glad to be alive. And that is um, on my website. And also, uh, my publisher, Centering Corporation in Omaha, we put out an affirmations calendar. Uh, And so the affirmations on that calendar, again, were like writing poetry. 
and I know I saw the electronic version of that uh, with beautiful nature photos, and a friend of mine, I said, oh, come, come, look, here's my calendar, and it's coming out, and she looked at the calendar, and she started to cry. Ah. Uh. Well, one of one of the comments you make in this, uh, you know, at the top of the page is sometimes I surprise myself, and that <laughs> makes me glad. <laughs> I love that. And that's very true. <laughs> well, tell us how how you keep your attitude up, Harriet. I mean, what do you do when you when you don't feel like getting out of bed? Well, first of all, I get up out of bed anyway because two <laughs> teenagers are depending on me, and I get up and fix them breakfast, and I make sure that they. You know, are you wearing clean clothes, et cetera? Uh, we have let them decorate their rooms. We've turned the lower level into a teen hangout. We have the bumba, bumba, bumba music uh, that goes on <laughs> when you have teenagers. And, you know, I keep hearing the people say, oh, well, I've got writer's block, and, and even journalists will use this as an excuse. Well, it's not an excuse. You have to sit down and say, this is my life, and I am going to tell about it in my own words. And I think that perhaps is the most important recovery step of all. Words are empowering, and you can let your own words empower you. Oh, Harriet, thank you so much. We'll close with that. Thanks so much for being on the show to- today. Thank Thanks, you for Harriet. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.